Yo, it's the heavy hitter DJ Wala, and you're now plugged into the Subject Thread Podcast with your host, Nyla Lavelle. Like, there are certain people that have these ability to be independent contractors, self-employed, day traders, real estate investors, singers, artists, those type of people avenues within the real estate umbrella because there's so many different ways to make money in real estate. I think a lot of people miss that. Right, right. And that's very true because when you say real estate, that's a that's the umbrella, right? That's what and then there's so many other strategies. So real quick what I'll do for our listeners is explain a little bit about what wholesaling real estate is. I, I like I like that question because what kind I was just talking about this yesterday and I feel like with, with Kanye he's like he does things that we all do behind closed doors. Yeah, I've never been asked that. This is Subject Thread Podcast. We different here. You are now tuned in to Subject Thread Podcast, giving you real dose of storyboard conversations, art, money, culture, and more. All right, guys. This is Subject Thread Podcast in the building, and your host, Nyla Lavelle, is here. And we have a very special guest here in the building with us, renowned artist, Mr. Tim Okamura. How are you? I'm pretty good, all things considered. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I was just looking at your beautiful Time magazine cover that you did of Toni Morrison. Yeah. yeah that, that is was- timeless. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a great opportunity as part of the 100 women of of time that basically was an idea they had where they realized there there was 100 women that should have been on the cover of Time magazine in various years. Mm. And so they actually contacted me and asked if I'd be interested in doing Toni Morrison for the year 1993. And yeah, of course, <laughs> one of my one of my heroes, so it was great to great opportunity like i said and you know what's amazing about the cover like i know that it was you know her from 93 but it looks like she can fit in now with the dreads and you know she just looks like she belonged now (laughs) yeah i think she's always looked kind of timeless actually and she's always had a real sort of classic style to her but yeah absolutely she she certainly could exist now and unfortunately she's not with us anymore but now you're from canada yeah i'm originally from canada i've been in new york since 1991. So I'm getting closer to my 30 year anniversary. But uh, I did grow up there and then came here to go to grad school actually in 91. Thought I'd stay for a couple years and and I just fell too deeply in love with the city and just ended up <laughs> staying. That's what a lot of so, people say. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and it was funny when I got like, we get sheets on who we're going to do interviews on and I saw you and I said, wait, he is not 52. <laughs> I, said, mm. I said, look at this guy. You look great. I couldn't even, I was like, yeah, I don't believe it. Well, I would deny it, except it's possible to look it up on the internet. So it, <laughs> there's it, no point. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you can't. I mean, I was like, but I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you very much. I, I definitely thank some of the Japanese genes, I think, helped that out a little bit. So I was going to ask you, do you, do you eat anything like plant-based to look like that? Or <laughs> that sounds like that was a joke. Like, no. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I try. I try to be diet conscious. But, you know, anyone that knows me knows I like to have fun, too. So <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I'm not sitting here going to say that I'm like vegan and that I don't party or anything like that. I work hard, play hard, 
you know, I try to be conscious, like I said, of, of diet and, and sleep and things like that. And, uh, I think as mentioned before, I, I got a little bit lucky with, with, uh, you know, maybe bone structure from actually both my mother and my father <laughs> that helped out a bit. And I still have hair, which also helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your, your parents are originally from Japan. My father actually was born in Canada. Okay. Um, even his mother was born in Canada, but his father was born in Japan. And okay. they basically had like an arranged marriage. Like his, his, his father was kind of sent over from Japan to meet my grandmother. So he left Japan when he was like 18. And oddly enough, my, my grandfather, my, my, my dad's father actually never really learned to speak English his entire life. Really? <laughs> yeah. He just, he really just kind of ended up in a very Japanese Canadian community and just, I guess, just never got really comfortable with the language. So that's pretty interesting. And my mother's side of the family, they're from Newfoundland, Canada, the Maritimes, but their, but their ancestry traces back to England, actually. Hmm. So it's a little diverse. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Japanese, Canadian, and New Yorker is how I describe myself. <laughs> Have you visited Japan, you know, where you, your ancestors are from? Uh, no, I actually haven't gone to where my, my grandfather's from. It's like Fukuoka, but I've been to Tokyo a couple of times and just absolutely loved it. I mean, whenever I go to England, I always feel a little bit like it's it's a second home to me and and I feel comfortable there and then I wondered how I'd feel when I got to Japan for the first time and as soon as I got off the plane in Tokyo I just everything was just making sense to me I was looking around at like the way things were organized and the the politeness and just the courteous way that people conduct themselves and it just all clicked like right away and then of course you got food and the architecture and the history and it's just it's a brilliant brilliant place I was going to say that actually how is the art out there compared to like New York? I guess the thing for me when I was there is I wasn't really so focused on galleries, although I, I was in a show in Tokyo in a small gallery, but a lot of it for me is like historical. And so last time I was there, I was actually concentrating on looking at samurai history. Mm. So I went to the Samurai Museum and I just had an awesome time there and actually saw a suit of samurai armor that on the helmet had my family crest, which I have tattooed on my chest, actually. So a lot of fascination there. Yeah, I was looking at some of your tattoo art. You have it. You you don't show the, the chest part, but I can see that there. Are you like tatted on the whole chest or just a portion of it? Uh, just a few things. I'm, I'm still a work in progress, ink-wise. Part of it is just that I, it's hard to find the time, actually. You know, I'm always usually on deadlines and painting and in the studio and and I've got a couple of friends who are tattoo artists, so they're the ones that I that I go to and then we do the we do the tattoo part of it and then they want to hang out. So I gotta kinda have like a almost like a whole day to do it. And so I got a lot of plans still I'm work in progress, but um I haven't done everything I wanna do yet. And I and I definitely wanna give a shout out to I guess the guy who drew you, O'Neill Scott. O'Neill, yeah, O'Neill. Oh Scott. my gosh, he did yeah. a great job. Yeah, out of Philadelphia. Well, he's a, he's a very talented up and coming artist. As a portrait artist, you know, we we bonded uh, right away when we met a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, I was honored that he asked. Uh, Gotta love those New York sirens. It wouldn't be New York without. Oh him. yeah. <laughs> so. Sorry, you know I. Oh right no, there. no! Listen, listen. I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> I live in between a hospital and then the fire department. 
oh. on either side of me. So it's kind of hard to <laughs> kind of hard to avoid. Oh, that's Brooklyn, right, BK? Yeah, that's Brooklyn. I'm in Bushwick. And I okay. live right, right across from White Rock Heights Medical Center over here. Okay. That's awesome. And then I see a picture. It looks like you incorporated some of your Japanese culture with African-American culture on the Woman Warrior Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a big. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, for me, I I love that kind of mashup. You know, I think that that to me is very much about the times that we're in. I, I love to sort of, you know, investigate different aspects of, of different cultures and, you know, almost try to sample a little bit. I always, you know, I'm a big old school hip hop fan. And I always love that idea of like taking something, borrowing something from, from another time or another era, you know, maybe another culture and incorporate it into something new, you know, and kind of given this kind of flipping it and giving this other dimension to it. So there's definitely, a, there's, there's, there's an idea of samurai and like women warrior and, that theme is something I'm going to explore a little bit further in a series that I got coming out. Yeah, it's it's something that I think is really interesting juxtaposition. And, you know, for anybody that's been to my apartment, it's all, I have a lot of African sculptures and Japanese sculptures. Mm. And it's just this big, huge mashup here in Indian. And, you know, it's, I, I'm just, I'm just really interested in, in just the depth of, you know, human history and culture. And, and I, and I love, I love it all. You know, so I, I like to try to see what happens when you allow some of those things to sort of collide on canvas. That's amazing. And it's like a remix to a song. And you said that you are a true hip hop head. So take me to what's your top five. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my frame of reference, because I used to have a hip hop radio show back in like the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> so that, oh, wow. that's like my that's like my golden era, for, you know, for myself. I think at that time, there was something about hip hop, like, and, and again, you mentioned my age. So it was all happening, you know, when I was a younger man. And for me, you know, it kind of felt like I, I've always been kind of lived this sort of dichotomy, you know, it's like part of me loved punk rock and rock music. And then the other part really sort of got into funk and hip hop and, and especially hip hop when that came out. For me, that was my punk rock. That was my like, the themes to like my own sort of personal rebellion. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me because I think that it was such a an important moment in my life that I was discovering who I was, but I was also discovering like through hip hop, you know, a lot of other stories that I hadn't really been exposed to firsthand. So all those artists from like that, that time period, like definitely hold a place in my heart. And as much as I love, you know, a lot of contemporary uh, uh, guys and recognize their genius, you know, it's hard for me to um, displace like Big Daddy Kane and like <laughs> Absolutely. Know, Eric, Eric B and Rakim and EPMD. Uh, I love NWA from back in the day, Public Enemy. I mean, all, all those, all those groups and, and solo artists old LL Cool J, I mean, Beastie Boys, I mean, they, they all just were such a big part of my life at that point. So they really hold that spot in my heart. They hold it down. And then, you know, now I can say, yeah, of course, I love I love more contemporary guys, too. But um, but there's something about the uh, there's just something really sentimental there. And I think, like I said, something about the fact that I was really growing into the into the person that I am now that it was like, it's a soundtrack to my life. 
Super dope. And you mentioned Big Daddy Kane. Today is actually his birthday. <laughs> oh, I, wow. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. He's actually Dang. one of the most iconic rappers and, you know, slept on. That's the golden era, though. It was just a special time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like nostalgic. It's something you can't really get back. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's I, I've actually had I've had fantasies and I don't know if you know the photographer Jonathan Mannion, who's, you know, probably like the premier hip hip hop photographer. I mean, shot everybody in the game. But at one point I was I was a little bit lit and I was like, man, we should like work on trying to produce an album where we get like all those old school guys, but like do a new album kind of like in, in my mind, like one of my another favorite record that I had back in the day was the color soundtrack. When the color soundtrack came out, like I would play that all the time. I was like, there, there's got to be a way to like do that again with like new producers, but get all these guys like Big Daddy Kane and Special Ed and, you know, Roxanne Shante, like, you know, mm-hmm. all, all, all those kind of folks to like do a new track. Like I, that would just be so mind blowing. But I think that, you know, it's just it's, the style's different today. But I think like, I, and, and I hope that I know that I've met some younger folks recently that have gone back and sort of investigated some of the older guys and i actually had a pretty good conversation the other day where they're like yeah like those lyrical skills were pretty insane and just the the character of their voices the lyrics of all those things they they were they were given respect so i was i was happy to hear that <laughs> yeah it's pretty dope i was listening to you said you mentioned another iconic uh, roxanne shante and yeah. nas just came out with a new album and he has hit boy producing it which is a newer artist mm-hmm and he was talking about how she used to bully him. And that's, she was the oh. one that got him to start rapping. <laughs> pretty, wow. Pretty. So how did you get into drawing? You know, a lot of it was, I think in the early stages, just growing up in Canada, the fact that I was in Edmonton, Canada, it was really long winters. And so a lot of times it, there wasn't much to do. You couldn't really go outside. It was too cold. Or if you did go outside, it was for a limited amount of time. And then, so I'd just be sitting around, like basically asking my mother, you know, what can I do? I'm bored. And she, she gave me just like drawing utensils. I mean, just gave me at first, obviously crayons and then colored pencils. And I remember she bought me at one point, like a finger painting kit, but I used, I started using brushes with the finger painting kit. And uh, so a, a lot of it just had to do with, you know, her trying to keep me busy, but I really took to it. And my father had actually painted when he was younger and he was actually a pretty good painter, but it just wasn't practical for him to pursue being an artist at that time. His history is super interesting. Also, my, my father's a Japanese internment camp survivor. Mm. So his family definitely had a rough time of it. And he was very, very practical minded. Uh, he still is. But I think that when he saw me start to really take to arts, he was very supportive because he understood it because he painted himself a little bit. And uh, so both my parents were very instrumental in supporting my my entire career. But uh, certainly it started a lot just out of afternoons of boredom. And I just, there was something that clicked, you know, with, with painting in the same way that that music also just touched my soul. So both those things have been a huge, huge part of my life. Obviously, professionally, I became a, a painter, but um, I was also a singer in bands back in the in the nineties, and uh, we got we got you know to the point we almost got signed by a major label. So you know that was that was a little bit heartbreaking. But the painting has continued since I was probably you know first grade or something like that. Yo, it's the heavy hitter DJ Wala, and you're now plugged into the Subject Thread Podcast with your host Nyla Lavelle.
cool, cool. So when you were in the band, what kind of genre of music were you guys doing? It was rock. It was pretty heavy rock stuff, like complex. We were kind of like, I guess you call it emo rock or something at, at a time when it was really about this sort of return to this kind of like really simple three chord garage punk that that was huge at that time. So we we didn't quite hit it, but we kind of were a little bit ahead of our time. And then I guess I just got to a point where I felt like I got to make a decision because I was on the road. I was touring, spending a lot of time in the in the studio doing gigs. And we played all the iconic spots in New York City, like CBGB's, Wetlands, the Continental you know, all these places. That's that, iconic places. Yeah. And they're all gone now. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to say that I, that I did perform there. But I think at a certain point, I just saw how fragile, you know, pursuing the, the music career was. And there was a part of me that probably was a little insecure about it too, because my training was in art, my training was in painting. And I just, it was just the love of music that, that got me to that point. And maybe I, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I just felt like I wasn't really meant to be there, and I've always kind of regretted that because I think, in retrospect, that I wish I would have pursued it a little further. So it's it's one of the, one of those things that you regret. Yeah, definitely, and that's you know that's something that was a huge life lesson for me because you know after I quit the band in probably the late nineties, it was one of those things where I couldn't even like listen to music, I okay. couldn't watch music videos. Like it was just so painful. You know, it's like, it was like a big, big breakup, you know, and like anything that reminds you of that, it's hard to confront. And so, you know, the tough times in my life, you know, as an artist, as a painter where, you know, and and believe me, there's, there's been so many where I said, you know, I, I want to quit, you know, (laughs) I might've said that in either internally or expressed it privately to a few friends externally. And I always come back to remembering what it was like to quit the band and just how painful Mm. it was. And, and just the, the disappointment I had in myself, I guess, because of that, I was, I, I won't be able to live with myself if I ever quit art. So that's why I'm still here. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you find refuge when you're drawing, when you're going through something? I do. I do. I think that, you know, it, it's, it can be a very deep form of meditation. I, I think that I work through a lot of things in my mind when I'm really grinding and painting and and just getting into some details or something, I, it, it, it's so helpful, I think, mentally to sort of make peace with a lot of things that you're, you're grappling with. And also just the, the, the process of creating something is, there's something very fulfilling about that. And when I take time off, I almost kind of forget that painting, even if I'm struggling with something and if there's all these external things going on, you know, with the art world and career or whatever, but if I take a few weeks off, I feel this unrest sort of deep mm. in me and this sort of sense of, of a little bit of a void. And the funny thing, even after all this time is sometimes, you know, and then I'll come back and like maybe paint after a couple of weeks. And just after one day in the studio, I feel so much better. I'm like, oh yeah, you haven't been creating. That's why you've been feeling this, this kind of, you know, disturbance in your, in your soul, you know? So it's like part um, of your DNA. Yeah, it's it's just so important for me to do it. It just it makes me feel like my whole life makes sense that I'm that I'm making something that people can engage with and that, you know, will hopefully still be around, you know, long after I'm gone. I mean, there's something about that. I mean, not 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 you know, not to get too egotistical about it, but there is some ego involved in the idea of legacy, but I just feel like I like the idea of making things, 
you know, with my time and my efforts and, and organizing my life to like create something that, that hopefully will, you know, touch people and inspire people. So that to me feels very meaningful. And it's, it's a big reason why I do what I do. Now, I do want to circle back to something that you said to me that maybe you can educate me. We don't have to stay on it because, you know, it's probably a somber topic. But you mentioned something about your dad being in a camp. Like, what kind of camp was that? Yeah, well, it was, you know, in in Canada, the same thing happened during World War II after Pearl Harbor that happened in the USA, where all, yeah, all the Japanese, like either Japanese Americans or in Canada, Japanese Canadian citizens. And, and like I said, you know, in my case, my, my father was already second generation Canadian, but the government basically said, all right, we're going to round up any Japanese person and who, who might be a sympathizer with Japan. That, that was their, you know, that was their, their theory that they were going to help Japan with a possible invasion, I guess. That mm-hmm. was kind of their thinking. So they, they, gave every, they, they gave a notice to like my dad's family to get specific that I think it was just a couple of days. Like it might have been like a Wednesday. And they were like, all right, you have to basically, you can take one suitcase per family member. You need to report to this train station and you're going to basically a prison camp. Wow. So the, the government seized their land, their their vehicles, all of their possessions. I mean, it's just insane. So there's something about that experience being a part of my DNA. I think that's a very big part of my sense of empathy, my kind of lifelong interest in, in in battling for social justice. You know, whether or not it's you know Asian people or or, or African-American or, you know, any people of color, anybody that I think is, has been, you know, exploited or, or abused or anything like that. It, it touches me deeply in, in a way that I don't think I've always processed properly or always realized, you know, certainly relates back to like my family history, you know, mm-hmm. in a big, big way. But, you know, my, my, my father and my father's family, they, they never really liked to speak about that too much. That was a very, very difficult time in their life. You know, to just to be uprooted and, and you know, be in a camp for you know a few years, and then they got reassigned, you know, to a different part of the country, and were just sort of given a small plot of land, and said, I think they were given a choice whether to they could, whether to raise chickens or to to farm. And my grandfather chose farming essentially. So I think they gave them just like some bags of seed and maybe some basic tools or something. I'm like, okay, here's your plot of land. Be a farmer. Wow. And, and I know that I do remember that there was no house on the land. There was only a chicken coop. So when they moved onto the land, they basically had the whole family living in a chicken coop. And then as they slowly started to get set up and maybe got some other assistance, they just kind of built, you know, more, more kind of rooms <laughs> out from this chicken coop, believe it or not. And then they eventually managed to to kind of build a house, you know, over, over time. But, uh, Difficult, difficult circumstances. No, absolutely. Just the level of unjust sometimes to just people that are minority groups is just unbelievable yeah. when you yeah. sit back and think about it. Yep. And we're going through it now. Yep. We definitely are. And I was going to speak to you about that. Like, it seems like you're very inspired by some of your artwork. And I see like the equality shirts and everybody versus injustice. So I definitely see that you're you're in, involved in social justice and you're using your platform to make to make a stand. Yeah, I think so. I think that, I mean, I, when I say I think so, I know so. Uh, it's been a, it's really been a lifelong thing for me. It's something that 
I've been interested for, you know, the, the 35 years I've been, you know, really invested in painting, I guess. But more recently, I believe that I wanted to get a little bit more overt with my messaging. I think that I, I had people along the way say, you know, just the very act of you looking like you do, but choosing to paint and choosing to represent women of color, for instance, is like a big statement in and of itself. The thing about that is I never had had that really planned. I just I just went with my gut, you know, at a very early stage and just I I looked around when I was in the museums and I looked around when I was in the galleries and I just didn't see I didn't see diversity. Mm. And so when it came time, you know, when I got out of grad school and I was and I was working on all these themes in grad school, um there was a big in fact in grad school there was was a huge sort of resurgence of interest in Malcolm X and I was you know, trying to educate myself there. And I was doing portraits. There's one self-portrait I wish I still had, actually, of me wearing a Malcolm X hat and investigating, oh, wow. like, like, what does that mean? You know, can I do that? Can I? But I never thought of the larger, broader concept of, like, people are going to look at my art and look at me and judge that on a conceptual level. I was more about, it's just about the art. Like, it doesn't matter who did it. That was That was the way that I was thinking about things. And so as things progressed and, and over the years, as the work got more and more out there, obviously, you got a lot of questions to answer externally. And you also have a lot of, you know, self-examination and things to, things to try to solve a little bit internally, too. So there was a lot of, there was a, like, there, it was kind of loaded in a, in a way that, that I was painting, you know, the, the subjects that I chose to paint. And then more recently, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to just get a little bit more direct and, and in some ways kind of in your face with some of the messaging while still doing portraiture. I mean, a good example is I did a painting called Racism is Social Terrorism. And mm. I actually, you know, I came up with that uh, phrase myself. And then I had a, a couple of different t-shirts custom made. And I just wanted to see what typography looked best or whatever. And then I you know, had a friend come in and pose and, and pose in that shirt. And I created the painting. And then that, that was actually most recently exhibited in Frankfurt, Germany, and they chose to make like a huge banner of it, which was hanging outside the gallery. So there was a large banner that said racism is social terrorism in Frankfurt, Germany, as recently as a month ago. And, and I'm, I'm proud of that, actually, that there was, you know, that, that ability for that image to get out there in the world like that. And I always say that, like things like that, music is universal, art is universal, like those are things that everybody can relate to. I agree 100%. And I think that within art, portraiture and realism are especially accessible, I think, to people because, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with the human figure, I'm dealing with human faces. And I think that at one point in their lives, everybody has tried to draw a face. So they have some kind of experience with it and some ability to relate to it. Whereas if I was doing completely abstract work, you know, you're probably going to reduce your audience down, a little, you know, maybe quite significantly, depending on exactly what you're doing. Because people get a little bit too challenged, I think, sometimes to engage with things that they maybe don't have the language to sort of describe and, and, and think about, you know, without, without sort of more experience. But portraiture, there's something very direct about it. And I think that's also why, you know, people, you know, react very strongly to the work. And, and, and at times, you know, when they feel really comfortable criticizing the work, too, you know, because they, they, they recognize the figure there's something comfortable about it. Just like, you know, we all have our opinions on music. We have our opinions on movies. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's a lot easier to have opinions on portraiture and figurative work. 
But but just to counter that, I mean, I'm so very grateful that really, you know, the, the, the majority of the time we've just gotten so much great feedback and so many meaningful, you know, heartfelt messages uh, responding to the work. And, and really, that's kind of what keeps me going all the time. That's awesome. How did the uh, the Faith and Biggie portrait come about? Uh, you know, I, don't, I think that uh, Universal Records just saw my work at some point along the way. I'm not even sure exactly where. I, I can't even remember if I asked them that, but they just contacted me. They reached out and Faith had that record coming out a few years ago mm-hmm. called The King and I. And they were trying to figure out a way to incorporate Biggie into the image and Faith, but without it being like a Photoshop type of thing. And so I had this idea that it was would be this larger than life almost like a painting of Biggie and then Faith stands in front of that. And then I do a painting of her standing in front of his painting. That was, that was kind of the idea in my head. So she came to my studio, I think it was in 2016 to pose. And yeah, I mean, I enjoyed working on it. I, I, I did a couple other smaller studies and we documented the whole thing. And then not only with the painting, but a few other aspects of that whole project, things started to go a little bit sideways, which I won't get into too much, but uh, it didn't end up being the cover. <laughs> so okay. again, and actually, I think I think it was Jonathan Mannion, my good friend, who they actually called up and said, you know what, she just wants a photo of her now or something like that. So I kind of like, to be completely honest, I was a little bit wounded. So I sort of disengaged <laughs> from following uh-huh. up on what happened. You know, I was kind of <laughs> like, all right, I'm out, I'm out. But uh but, you know, it was a great experience overall. I mean, I'm still thankful to Universal that, you know, they entrusted me with that. And, and like I said, things, things you know. They happen. Yeah, especially in the music industry, you know, things go sideways sometimes. No, absolutely. What is your favorite painting that you that you can put your hand on and say, like, this is one of the best ones? Honestly, I have so, I, I that I can't really do. I've got so many. I mean, I can tell you that one of the most popular paintings that I've done is called Rosie Number no. 1. I mean, that, that I get asked about all the time and I've, you know, I sell prints of that and I'm, I'm kind of doing a new edition of that actually where part of the proceeds from print sales are going to go to charity, which I'm still pinpointing. But I had this idea, you know, I, I don't know what, I think it was actually a friend of mine many years ago that, you know, she's African-American, she dressed as Rosie for Halloween. And I remember seeing that and I was like, wow, that's really powerful. And I had that idea in my head. I was like, I should do that painting, but not try to just copy I can't remember the guy's name is like Jay Howard or something. The guy that did it in like the forties, the original Rosie the Riveter that we all know that says we can do it. I think Beyonce actually recreated that in a photo yeah, too. He definitely did. Yeah. I just had that idea, but I said, but let me do it as a more, you know, realistic painting of a real person and not a cartoon. And, and of course, like so many people have done that over the years, uh, not, not a painting, but like photos, like, like Beyonce took the photo, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that w- wasn't like a, a brand new idea to have a woman of color as Rosie, but to paint her in a really real way, <laughs> just to be redundant, but in, in a way that feels like a real person, that was my goal. And so I had a friend of mine named Tico come in and it was kind of a, it, it, the main idea that I was having to come pose for was actually a samurai painting. And then, and then I just took a little time out with her. I said, hey, I have this other idea I've been wanting to do for a long time. Like, would you mind posing as Rosie? And so she had that head wrap and we wanted to kind of give it almost a little bit of a, of a West Indian vibe too. And then she's wearing my shirt in the painting, but she's got her sleeves rolled up. And yeah, that's probably been the most popular painting that I've done. But, you know, in terms of like my favorites, like I've got, there's just so many, you know, there's, there's one that I did called the Fight Club that somebody 
reposted recently and it's a it's a diverse group of women i think it's 13 women that are all posing as boxers and that was a huge huge painting and a huge undertaking and it's still it's still like one of the paintings that, are, that are always comes to mind is like something i'm very happy with so that you, you feel like you, you did a great job on that yeah and it captures a lot of like what i'm about you know just in terms of the diversity you know the strength of you know the the female figure but yeah just just to kind of flip it and just make this you know this powerful kind of girl gang, you know, for lack of a better <laughs> word, you know, that, that, that's something that really interests me. Now I know that your art is taking you all over the world. What is your, what is one of your favorite places that you like to visit? With the art? I mean, I had a, I had, I had an amazing time in Hong Kong last year. That was, that was pretty trippy for me. I, I had some big paintings in art central, this big fair in Hong Kong. So that was, that was, that was pretty wild. Hong Kong is a trippy city. The show I did in Tokyo also, I mean, that was my my big excuse to finally get myself over to Tokyo. So that was uh, a number of years ago. But those are those are like maybe two that really stand out in terms of travel. But definitely like, you know, going to Switzerland was awesome. London, I've, I've shown work in the National Portrait Gallery in London several times. I don't know. I think everything is just, you know, every everything... I just try to appreciate every experience and they're, they're all so different, you know, but, uh, I think, I think having that, that, that inspiration to finally get to Tokyo after never, I had never been to Japan and I was, you know, a grown, a grown man, you know, always trying to come to grips with my, my Japanese identity. That, that was a really important moment for me. Okay. If it wasn't New York city, where would you want to live? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, honestly these are the, these are the questions that that a lot of us have been dealing with these days, especially in the in the dark days of the pandemic, and and trying to decide like you know do we ride it out? Do we stay in New York? Like I still you know this is home for me. I love the city to death, but uh, I started thinking like maybe it's going to make sense to to shift you know your life and and start a whole new chapter somewhere else. I think there's practical considerations. Like I was thinking about Berlin because I think that it's, there's some good things happening just economically for an artist in terms of space. And it's also like a much more diverse city than people realize. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it does surprise you. And you get, you get a lot of different flavors over there. African, North African, Middle Eastern. I mean, some of the best, like, Middle Eastern food I've ever had in my life was in Berlin for sure. Just so, so it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, different dynamic in terms of cultures, but, but it's, it's quite diverse. There's a lot of inspiration there. I think also that, you know, Germany with the history that it, that it has, I always feel when I meet German people, they're really, they really generally, you know, try to be, and I'm talking about the people that I, you know, that I would come to contact with, but with, but are very open-minded, very interested in art and culture and, you know, trying new things and, and really interested in, in other people's stories. It's almost like, like knowing their history. I think it's, uh, there's a real effort, you know, to be as global as possible. And that, that's impressed me a lot. In a less practical sense, Tokyo, I would definitely live there for a while just to, just to like do a, you know, a ramen tour of the city <laughs> for like years. <laughs> You know, yeah. That is super cool. Yeah. Well, what what else is next for you? Well, right now, you know, I I actually back in March contracted COVID. I was going to ask you about that. I wanted to be sensitive to that because I know you lost a family member. Yeah, it all kind of happened at the same time. Yeah, I had a 
I had a family, uh, well, several family members. They were actually on the Diamond Princess cruise ship, which was oh in the news gosh. at the front end of things. And it was my my cousin and his wife. It was actually their their wedding anniversary, oh, and they both got COVID, and so did their daughter, who was along for the trip. And unfortunately, my cousin, you know, got got all the complications, and he ended up. They ended up in uh, Yokohama, and then he was transferred to Tokyo to like a really top hospital there, but he wasn't able to pull through. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was tough. And, and, and at the same time that that was happening, you know, all the concern was start was really, really, really bubbling up here. And I had just been on a trip to London and, and Germany and I came back and I was back in New York for a week and then I got sick. And so it was like kind of dealing with the loss of my cousin, you know, then being sick myself. And of course, you know, all my family members who were already trying to cope with my, my cousin's loss were now concerned about me. And then on a personal level, I also was living, you know, like right across a hospital here in Brooklyn that got hit super hard with COVID patients and COVID deaths. So very shortly after, you know, this whole thing started, there was refrigerator trucks that were moved in, you know, outside the hospital. It was like makeshift morgues. And, and I was, you know, my, my, my window, my kitchen window is basically looking out to that scene Mm-hmm. daily of, of bodies being put into trucks. It's very traumatic. Yeah, it was it was a very dark time uh, in my life. And, you know, I'm still processing a lot of that. And one of the things that, that I really was uh, determined to do was, again, to bring somehow bring the art into it and do something purposeful. And that that, you know, documented and sort of captured captured the times that, that we're living in. So I'm working on a, a series right now that's a, it's a healthcare heroes series. I was able to connect actually through Instagram. Somebody, I posted that I was sick and then somebody in Canada said, Hey, my friend is like head nurse, a COVID unit at a hospital in Brooklyn. It was actually NYU Langone. And so I connected with, with um, this great woman named Eileen Green and she invited me to the hospital to meet a lot of the the COVID unit nurses that were absolutely uh, heroes during the the height of the pandemic. And I had them pose for me. And so I'm working on paintings of them. And then I connected with a couple of attending physicians in the ER right at at the hospital, right across the street from me. And they've posed for me as well. So that's kind of my my pet project in a way, because some of the portraits of nurses, I'm actually just going to be giving to the nurses as gifts to recognize them for their efforts. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the, the bigger, some of the bigger paintings we're trying to sell, and then like fifty percent of proceeds will go to a charity of the of the medical workers, healthcare workers' choice. So that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm glad that you're doing that. I actually spoke to a renowned doctor, and it's it's still very serious, and a lot of people don't take it seriously. They don't really want to wear a mask, and you know those type yeah. of things. And it's just it's not a game. Yeah, well, it, and, and you know, and every day there's new revelations, you know, on on the health front, but then also now we're just finding out that that I won't even say his name, but the person that's supposedly the leader of this country knew all along how serious this was and just lied and yeah. cost and cost tens of thousands of lives. I mean, it's just for no reason. It's 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 so it's so horrifying. So it, it, there's so much to process, and then let's not forget that we right in the middle of a pandemic had a major social justice movement, you know, spark from, you know, another uh, horrifying incident, you know, in the, in the killing of George Floyd. So having all these things collide, like, you know, again, I think we're all still processing and still trying to do 
um, the best we can to kind of come to grips with everything that's gone on. But, you know, and that's still going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's another aspect of, of some of the paintings that I'm doing too, is I'm, I'm, I'm also just working on a small portrait of Brianna Taylor right now. And I'm, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm working on a small portrait of Jacob Blake as well. So, so you're you know, busy. you got a lot of stuff. So I'm busy. Yeah. And, 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 and for, right. And, and, you know, with the, with the COVID, you know, I, I didn't feel well for a couple of months and I really wasn't able to work too much. And then when I recovered on the physical side, there was just so much going on mentally. And I was kind of dealing with some depression stuff and some lack of focus and kind of brain fog. So it was, a, it was a weird summer, but there was never any lack of ideas. And now I'm just like sitting here going, I got about 25 paintings to do <laughs> quick. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's not going to be so quick, but I've got a lot, I got a lot of, a lot of work to do. And I feel like I'm sort of turning the corner in terms of focus and, and my, my motivation is, is getting back to like a hundred percent. So yeah, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the studio moving forward. And, um, you know, I'm excited about that. Well, that's definitely a good thing. We're definitely glad that you're here and that you overcame that. Now, what would you tell your 20 year old self? My 20 year old self was a very, probably a pretty immature guy. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've thought about that before. Like, I, I think that there's so much I didn't know about the art world. There's so much I didn't know about the music world. I definitely did a lot of things. Most things in my life, I did it the hard way, you know, by, by learning from a lot of mistakes. And I'm still learning. I didn't really have any older sort of role model as an artist or, or, or I guess you could say like an, any kind of advisor or anything like that. I just kind of discovered a lot of things for myself. So yeah, I would want to tell my younger self, like, watch out for this, look out for this kind of gallery, you know, don't do that. You're going to play yourself if you do that, that those types of things. But, but on the, on the other hand, I sort of feel like I wouldn't have experienced a lot of things in my life if I didn't just sort of jump into things kind of blindly. And, and as much as there were hard times and, and, you know, very difficult moment. There was also a lot of magic because of that, because mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. You know, I think that if my father was like a professional artist, he was really coaching me. I don't know. I mean, maybe I just wouldn't have taken some of the detours that I did, which, which are a huge part of like who I am now, you know, and I, I, I you know, I works like every kind of job, like when I was younger and you know, I bartended, I was a bouncer at one point <laughs> at a nightclub, you know, I waited tables you know, I, I was in bands, as I said before, I, I was like a radio, I had two different radio shows when I was younger. I worked in advertising, illustration, I did album covers, you know, lots of different things that maybe I would have, I, I, I wouldn't have done. So, you know, hopefully I live, you know, a long life. I'd like to think that I'm only halfway done because <laughs> I got a lot to do now that I've really got a better handle on the art world. You know, I don't really have a lot of regrets other than you know, maybe I, I wish I would have stuck with music a little bit more, but it's seeming like the music thing is finding its way back into my life lately. And, uh, and it's helping to balance me out a little bit again, which uh, I'm really grateful for. It seems like you, you've done a lot already, like a New York minute, you know, New Yorkers, they just tend to have so many jobs going on at one time. So yeah, yeah. It's, I've always said that, you know, it's like, like, like living a year in New York would be like three years of life if I'd stayed in Canada, maybe, maybe even more, you know, like so much. It's so, it's hard to like, you know, even in the, in the conversation we're having, like encapsulate everything. Like there was a time when I was doing a lot of stuff for, for movies. You know, I worked on, I think like seven like motion pictures. Wow. Um, You know, and one of the most significant was a movie called prime in 2004 with 
Uma Thurman and Meryl Streep. And I'm still friends with the lead, the male lead from that name, Brian Greenberg, who, you know, went on to do a show on HBO called How to Make an America with, with Kid Cudi and Victor Rasuk. And, and I'm still friends with those guys too. So there, there's so many different chapters of my life that I'm just so grateful for. And, and to be honest, like so many of the things like I, I don't, I, you know, hard to put a percentage on it, but if I wasn't in New York City, they wouldn't have happened. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, how do the people find you? Give your social media handles out on your website. Yeah, uh, my website's being reconstructed right now. Oh, but uh, okay. the best uh, the best way to just to, to check out my work and, and probably the only thing I really try to keep up to date these days is my Instagram. And it's just my name, Tim Okamura, T-I-M-O-K-A-M-U-R-A. Awesome. Awesome. We definitely thank you for coming on Subject Thread Podcast today. It has been an enlightening conversation. You taught me something completely new about the art world and just about kind of Pearl Harbor, too. I never knew <laughs> that stuff in depth. So I definitely thank you for you know enlightening me. For sure. Well, hopefully we get a chance to talk again at some point. Absolutely. Thank, thank you so you. much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Subject Thread Podcast. Here's a sneak peek of next week's episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Subject Thread and make sure you visit us online at www.subjectthreadpodcast.com. I have a question for you. In terms of medical marijuana, what yeah. are the benefits for people that need it? Like, what, are the, what does it help with? You tell me what it doesn't help with. Medical marijuana, marijuana, period. And, you know, we have the medical part. So people who are really ill or have problems can get their medications at a lower cost than the adult use. But medical marijuana is good for headaches, for joint aches, for cancers, for ADD, for uh, post-traumatic syndromes, for pre-surgery, post-surgery, foot aches. I mean, I can't think of anything it's not good for. Why do you think so many people, not so many people, but why do you think a portion of people just frown upon it? Because in particular in the Black community, I can tell you why, because I live in a totally Black community here in D.C. and what they are accustomed to is seeing the street drugs and the effects of the street drugs. Mm -hmm. When I decided I was going to go and uh, put in an application for a dispensary, I had a lot of educational conversations at Linda's right here at my house with neighbors every two weeks and with the politicians and with, you know, I just started that dialogue very informal dialogue and getting them information and doing all, you know, providing them the research and everything. The the issue in our community, and we finally are getting the churches on.